Radio Mano Papachango. I'm sort of a fan of Donald Trump. I know that may surprise you, uh, some of you, most of you, fuck all of you. But I'm, I'm a fan of him as a phenomenon, not as a person. He's an insufferable prick, obviously. But what I love about him is his uh, I don't give a fuckedness. And what that allows in terms of illuminating the truth of politics in the United States, right? Because the truth is that pretty much all politicians, uh, with very few exceptions, are egotistical, narcissistic, uh, egomaniacs um, who only want to be president just to, to satisfy their ego, right? I mean, why would you want to be president? Why would you think that you are qualified to sit in that chair unless you're fucking nuts. Um, and why would you even want to? Why would you want to go through all the hassle? Why would you want to be begging for money all the time unless you're the guy that gets begged for money all the time? And that's what's so interesting about his existence uh, in the political realm is that he is the money behind the politician in this case he's just running his own it's like paul newman you know driving his own race car instead of sponsoring someone else to you know drive the car he is the figurehead and he's the money behind the figurehead whereas with everyone else we don't see who the money behind the figurehead is unless you know you're a political junkie and you know who sheldon addison is or the Koch brothers and people like that right so I kind of like the fact that he's out there and it's his money and he doesn't give a fuck if Fox News likes him or doesn't or the Koch brothers or Sheldon Addison or the Chinese or Nigerian princes or whoever's financing all these other campaigns. I like the fact that he's shining light on the process, which is utterly corrupt, utterly corrupt. You've got Jimmy Carter, who, by the way, is probably one of those exceptions to the rule of the narcissistic, egomaniacal politician. You've got Jimmy Carter coming out publicly and saying that American democracy no longer exists. It's an oligarchy. The country is run by rich elites. And even beyond the rich elites, beyond the Koch brothers and the Sheldon Addisons, by the way, is there a human being more disgusting than Sheldon Addison? Oh, fuck. Anyway, beyond those people, it's being run by corporations. And you know where I stand on that. They are alien intelligences who have come and enslaved to the human species. More on that in my upcoming book, Civilized to Death, which, yes, I'm still working on. But I'm getting excited about it again. The problem is I'm distracted by all this shit, man. I'm distracted... And this is one of those great problems to have kind of things. But Sex at Dawn is still fucking rocking and rolling in the in the sort of national conversation. Uh, just the past week, Sex at Dawn was mentioned in both Vanity Fair and Vogue, believe it or not. In Vogue, 
there was an article, pretty cool article, um, uh, that discussed something I've been thinking about, which is like it's hard for me to get involved in conversations about sexuality online because I'm a straight white man in his 50s. In other words, I'm a creep, right? Creepy. I'm a creepy dude. Anytime a heterosexual man above the age of, you know, 25 uh, sort of opines on sexuality or, or admits to having attraction for, a, you know, another human being, he's by default seen as a creep. There's something creepy in the national zeitgeist about that kind of thing. And I've thought about that. And, you know, it's one of those things where, okay, I'm not going to talk about it because, you know, it's just another, you know, what right do I have to complain, you know? Uh, but it is weird. And I, I think it's an expression of the sort of general sex negativity of American culture. Um, you know, that, you know, women uh, over the age of 50 are seen as non-sexual creatures. People under the age of 18 are, you know, we insist that they're non-sexual creatures. You know, any 16-year-old who has sex with someone over 18 is by default raped. <laughs> you know, they, they can't give consent legally. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I see it as just another expression of that sort of weird fucked up American approach to sexuality. But anyway, this article in uh, in Vogue was was cool because they mentioned me as someone who was an exception to that phenomenon because I talk about sex scientifically. So as long as I'm talking about sex scientifically, then I get a pass. Um, whereas Dan Savage can talk about, you know, the, the best blowjob technique. He gets a pass because he's gay. Uh, and then the other article was in Vanity Fair. It was an article I was uh, interviewed for about dating apps and how it's changed the dating world and all that. And yeah, I didn't like that article so much for a couple of reasons. One is that I felt it was an agenda-driven thing where the the uh, the, the journalist uh, came into it with an opinion, you know, basically that young people using dating apps are heartless, soulless, mindless fuck robots who are, um, you know, just having these empty relationships um and they're doomed to lives of of loneliness and and despair which uh, i don't think is an accurate portrayal of our younger brothers and sisters and then uh in in my mention she said something about um sex at dawn having been widely criticized by scientists and academics which is not only false um it's you know i wish it had been uh, I wish there were more engagement from academics and scientists. Uh, but in any case, it certainly wasn't widely disparaged and dismissed. Uh, you know, there are, we won as many awards from academic organizations as we as there were negative critiques, you know, published in mainstream uh, media. I don't mean to sound defensive. I just think it's an example of how you have to be really careful. Well, you can't be careful. You can't be careful because you engage with a journalist. You trust they're going to treat you fairly. If they don't, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, that's and, and, you know, fair is, to be honest, to be to be fair. Fair is a subjective concept. So maybe to her, you know, she treated me fairly. To me, I thought she made me 
the voice of the creeps. So I was sort of like the designated spokesman for creeps in her article. And then, you know, she slipped in this little, little aside about how the book was basically dismissed by the scientific community when in fact it wasn't. Uh, there's debate about it. That's certainly true. Uh, but not as much debate as, as I would hope for. Um, and then, you know, also I, I've got this guy who came to Portland uh, to spend a few days up here. He's writing a profile of me for Playboy. So that'll be coming out sometime in the next six months or so. No photos, at least not of me. Um, so we'll see how that goes. He seemed like a really nice guy. I was happy to spend some time with him, let him see, you know, answer whatever questions he has, let him see my life. He met Casilda and so on. But again, you know, if he decides to trash me, there's nothing I can do about it. And then on an even higher level, you know, maybe, for example, that line about the book having been widely uh, critiqued, maybe that wasn't even her line. Maybe an editor stuck that in and she didn't even see it until it got published. You know, those things happen, too. So, yeah, that's how that shit works. Anyway, back to Donald Trump. What I like about him is that he is what he appears to be. He's not a rich, narcissistic, egotistical asshole who's pretending to be a nice guy. We could name, you know, 500 of them in the House of Congress. He's exactly what he's pretending to be. And there's something refreshing about that. Uh, here's a, a little piece of a song by Spearhead that I was listening to the other day, and it gave me uh, a little chuckle because it's exactly how I'm feeling about politics these days. But before it gets to the politics, there's a nice little bit of uh, conspiracy theory, dismissal, and or embracing. Uh, the song's called Oh My God, and it's by Spearhead. This is just a chunk of it. I won't play the whole thing, um, but check them out. They're great. Michael Franti's the main singer. You can make a life longer, but you can't save it. You can make a clone and then you try to enslave it. Stealing DNA samples from the unborn and then you coming after us because we sampled a James Brown horn. Scientists who's got this progress. A four-headed sheep is their latest project. The CIA running like they're Jones from Indiana, but they still won't talk about that Jones in Guyana. This ain't no cartoon. No one slips on bananas. Do you really think that that car killed Diana? Hell, I shot Ronald Reagan. I shot JFK. I slept with Marilyn. She sung me happy birthday. My, oh my God. You my mother got a sibling suicide singing. Oh my, oh my God. You my mother got a sibling genocide singing. Oh my, oh my God. You my mother got a sibling suicide singing. Got lipstick on the collar The whole media started to holler But I don't give a fuck who they screwing in private I wanna know who they screwing in public Robbing, cheating, stealing White collar criminal McDonald eating You deserve a beating Send your home a weeping With the fat bill for your Caribbean weekend But just about I don't give a fuck who they're screwing in private I wanna know who they're screwing in public Exactly I'm always reminded of that great quote from Frank Zappa. Politics is the entertainment division of the military-industrial complex. 
Look over here. Look at this shiny thing. Oh, it's the first black president. It's the first woman president. Things must be getting so much better. Yeah, yeah. But meanwhile, Raytheon, General Electric, and the rest of them just keep raking in the money. Now we've got a new fighter jet that costs $132 million each. $132 million each to defend us from what? The country is collapsing from within. Anyway, don't want to get off on that because I'm going to be happy this week. I'm going out to, Cassie and I are going out to uh, watch the Perseid meteor shower for a couple of nights. And nothing can cheer you up like looking into the huge night sky, watching meteors flashing over the black dome and thinking of how insignificant we all are. I often say, you know, people, I've talked in previous podcasts about people writing in and saying, Chris, you sound depressed. This book is bumming you out, dude. Um, the thing is, I'm like a, I'm like a, I've got these shells. I've, I've got like a heart of optimism because I'm basically a happy person and I've had a pretty good life. My parents love me and I have friends who love me and I have you who are listening to me and I've got a lot of reasons to be happy. And then there's a shell which... You know, I've been I've been articulating more recently is which is sort of negative and pessimistic. And I know I don't believe that progress is happening. I don't believe that, uh, you know, the, the new technological good doodads that they're giving us are really making us happier. In fact, I think the evidence shows that most people's lives are deteriorating and happiness is going down, not up. And health is decreasing, not increasing, right? If you're one of these, you know, you're Aubrey or Joe or one of these people who are super fit, and that's great. But those are exceptional people. Most people, you know, a third of the people in the United States are going to have diabetes in their lives. Uh, half the kids in the country are overweight and or obese, right? No, we're not getting more fit. Um, and technology's not making us more fit. What it's doing is it's allowing us to adapt to a lower level of fitness and health and happiness. But anyway, I don't want to get off on that. That's So that's the intermediate shell. And then there's another shell or 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 um orb you know that contains the other two which is an acknowledgement that none of this fucking matters not my good luck not someone else's bad luck not the bad luck that's coming my way none of it matters because it's this one little planet in the middle of an immenseness that we can't even calculate so it's all on some level sort of an abstraction and a game and a dream that someone else is dreaming and nothing reminds me of that fact as much as looking up into the night sky, looking out into an endless ocean, you know, being in the middle of a fucking hurricane. I love that stuff. Stuff that reminds you of how small you are and by extension, how small your problems and issues are and stresses and all that. Um, so anyway, I will be a couple of nights this week by a campfire, wandering off into the darkness and looking up at the stars. I hope you can do the same thing. My conversation this week is with Dr. Susan Block, who is a unique uh, person, to say the least. She's a scholar, particularly of sexuality. She's a therapist. She's an author. She's a Yaley. Um, and she's, uh, as I say to her, sort of Somewhere like uh, Dr. Ruth meets Elizabeth Taylor or Marilyn Monroe. She's like sort of a super glamorous L.A. figure who does these weekly events at her 
compound, which is called Bonoboville. And, uh, you know, so she can come across as sort of uh, a very L.A. kind of person. But then when you sit down and talk to her, she's got a very acute intelligence, as you're about to hear. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and I will catch you after the meteor shower next week. Okay, I am here in Bonoboville, which is fantastic. We have a car we call the Bonobo Mobile. I suppose you have a Bonobo Mobile as well. We have several, just a few though, uh, not too many cars. We try to be ecological. Not the Bonobo fleet. <laughs> I'm in Bonoboville with Dr. Susan Block, who is author of The Bonobo Way, The Evolution of Peace Through Pleasure. Fantastic. Um, to Bonoboville. Thank you, thank you. It's my home away from home. Um, yeah, it's your fourth time here. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've heard the podcast, but it's conversational. So feel completely relaxed, you know, whatever. If you say something you wish you hadn't, I'm happy to go cut it out. Although you, you seem like um, you're a media professional, so you're not the sort of person who... I'm into spontaneity. Stumbles. You're into spontaneity. <laughs> Recorded spontaneity. I love to make plans, but the best laid plans may not get you laid the way you planned. <laughs> There's a sound bite. Have you been working on that? Do you have an elevator pitch? One of my maxims. You know, I mean, I always like to just move with the flow, you know, swing through the trees like a bonobo. Okay, that makes sense. Now, you and I got in touch. Try to. Yeah, it takes some work, right? There's a lot of... uh, Bonobo yoga. Yeah, bonobo yoga. (laughs) Bonobo conditioning. Yeah, someone should open a gym, the bonobo gym, right? Like just a... Like a nice dance-oriented workout, and then everyone has sex in the showers. Sure. That sounds like a good little sort of wing to Bonoboville. There's many wings. There's the Bonobo Bar and Uh uh, the Womb Room Lounge and uh, the Bonoboville Art Gallery. (laughs) Well, I told... I was talking with Dan Savage a while ago, and I was sort of complaining about how hard it is to be straight. Mm-hmm. And which tells you, you know, how the world has changed, right? Mm-hmm. A straight guy complaining about the troubles of being straight to a gay guy. Although it's probably always been hard to be straight. It's hard to be anything, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but we were talking about gyms, and yeah. you know, he's in such great shape. And I said, man, yeah. you know, if I could go to the gym and hang out with the people I'm attracted to. And shower with them and possibly hook up with them, them, I'd be, you know, I'd be as ripped as you are. Mm -hmm. Instead, showers for heterosexual males are often fraught with anxiety. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So, anyway, yeah. Especially if you're a grower rather than a shower. Oh, yes. You know, because you can't, like, explain to everybody. Then, you know, you need to do your bonobo yoga. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which is what? What is bonobo yoga? Well, uh, it's uh, it's just getting in touch with the part of you that is uh, bonobo-like, your inner bonobo. Yeah. I sometimes call it. Right. You know, your uh, your your true nature, your happy nature, your sexual nature, your peaceful nature. Right. Your good right. nature. Which so do you think that people are sort of half bonobo, half chimp, or do you think we're more bonobo like and society pulls us, or where do you come to semantical ways to go describe that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could say half bonobo, half chimp, if you like the half and half approach, or in between, or I mean, I think every scientist can has agreed that we're 
we're very close genetically to both. We're, right. we're probably more or less equally close. Some say closer to the bonobo. Some say closer to the common chimp. So we're, we're very close. And I think there's uh, been various things said by yourself, by me, by Dr. Franz de Waal, about how, yeah, there's uh, an inner ape that has mm -hmm. an inner common chimp, an inner bonobo. And there's a side of us that uh, just wants to fight. And I guess that's our inner common chimp. You know, that just loves to hate. You yeah. Know, it's so much yeah. fun. Although even the common chimp is sort of demonized. Yeah, you know, that's like, true. They don't bomb. They don't right, put head. Right. I mean, and, and not in fact, so many. Right. And yeah. in fact, the like warfare, so-called chimp warfare, is much less common than we're led to believe because the media plays it up so much. True. And, and not only the media, the popular science plays it up so much. The, the killer ape. Right. The killer ape, the, the primate origins of anything, violence, yeah. abuse of women, abuse of children. They always go back to the, the chimpanzee. As and this they're model. not as bad as humans. As some humans, as yeah. Some humans, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Proportion-wise, but they do, you know, sometimes kill each other, and they do sometimes do this organized killing that they call warfare, or, yeah. or the origins of warfare. And a lot of, um, I guess, anthropology and uh, you know, cinema and uh, a lot of attitude is is based on this idea that humans are killer apes and, and there's no way around it, that yeah. you know, we, we just have to kind of accept that. And bonobos are different enough that uh, I think they provide a, a new way. I, I call it the bonobo way, a new paradigm. I mean, this way of <clears throat> peace through pleasure. Right. You know, a female empowerment. I mean, when I was an anthropology student, almost uh, majoring in anthropology, but I decided not to because it was just so depressing. You know, all this, you know, male-dominant uh, kind of warrior, uh, just really negative, violent uh, precedent and, and paradigm, and I, I don't know, I just decided to major in theater instead. Was this at Yale? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you went on, you have a degree in psychology as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, from wow. Pacific Western, and an uh, honorary degree from the Institute for the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality. Oh, nice, in San yes, Francisco. Dr. Ted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's but great. At Yale, yeah, there was a very, you know, kind of male, you know, common chimp and baboon approach. You know, we were, we have uh, kind of a sexuality and, and an organization like baboons, which we kind of do. But then there's this bonobo who's closer to us than yeah. baboons. Yeah. Of course, you, you know, you really gave me a new appreciation for baboons. I did, with the yeah. Sapolsky story? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. That's a wonderful situation, yeah. One of my other little maxims is make like bonobos, not baboons. Yeah. And I kind of love to say that um, because it, I don't know, it has a ring to it. Yeah. But then, you know, you, you put me in touch with that story. Recount the story. Do you want to? Or? Yeah. 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 I mean, you For people who me. don't know the story. Yeah. You, you, well, okay. So Dr. Robert Sapolsky, yeah. who's this great baboon primatologist with wild hair. <laughs> yeah. He's really yeah, he's, just a character. I, I showed a picture. I was talking about him on a podcast, and the, the guy who does the podcast looked him up while we were talking, and he said, well, there's a guy who just doesn't give a fuck. 
<laughs> with yeah. the, the dreadlocks and everything. Yeah. So he's he's specializing in baboons. I mm -hmm. guess he does some other things, but focused on baboons, you know, who are very I guess violent. I mean, compared to other, mon they're kind of a monkey. They're monkeys, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and very male dominant. Yeah. And uh, and hierarchical and mean and, and you know certainly compared to bonobos or maybe even common chimps and gorillas. I mean, they're kind of nasty. And in this particular tribe, uh, they were near a garbage dump for a tourist lodge. And that made them much nastier because there was so much delicious garbage, and, you know, <laughs> cupcakes and old yeah. meat and bread to fight over. So it made the nasty, brutish baboons, the, the male-dominant ones, the alpha males, really, really, like, even more male-dominant. And they just wouldn't let the females or the kind of nice guy baboons have any of this delicious food that probably pumped them up with sugar and all that stuff. And so they were like this and they got even worse until one day fate had it that there was some tuberculosis in, yeah. in a dump. And uh, all of these alpha males got tuberculosis yeah. from eating their fill and they kept the females away and they kept those lucky nice guys away. See, nice guys sometimes do finish last. And they all died. Yeah. And it's kind of tragic in a way, but it was really <laughs> kind of great. And the, the bonobo, I mean, the baboon tribe, which he called Garbage Dump Troop, yeah. uh, was only left with females who groomed a lot and very nice males who liked sex, you know, maybe not as much as bonobos, but, you know, cuddling and... They liked it, they just yeah. weren't used to getting it. Right, yeah. and exactly, because the others kept it, and right. probably on a raping basis, and, uh, and, and they developed a bonobo-esque baboon tribe that then even would convert visitors. That was the amazing thing, 23 years later. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's incredible. Well, not a visitors. What happens is with baboons, they're a male exogamous species, which means that when they reach uh, sexual maturity, the males leave the group they're they were born into. Right. And so they go out and try to fight their way into other groups. Right. So he, uh, Sapolsky, was very afraid that... Um, you know, this, this troop was going to be defenseless against these aggressive males that were coming in. It was going to be like, you know, the Vikings landing on shore when all the men are gone on a hunting mm -hmm. expedition or something. Because they didn't have their defender males anymore. Right. They're no, they couldn't guys. fight off these newcomers. So uh, he, was, he went back the next summer very afraid that he was going to find his beloved troop wiped out. And in fact, what he found was in, there were new males, but they were just as chilled out as everybody else. So that, yeah. I mean, I always think of this with your book, and I guess that's what we were talking about, because there is a very under, um, underrated power in peaceful interaction. Yes, and if baboons can release their inner bonobos, so can humans. Right. And right. it just shows how much culture plays, even right. among baboons. It's not all about some genetic predestination. I mean, some of it is, but but this troop got 
bonoboized, you know. Right. And and they even bonoboized the visitors, the guys that came from other troops. And I think the way Sapolsky described it is that they would sort of say to these visiting baboons, well, that's not the way we do things right here. <laughs> that's right. You if you guys are going to hang around here, you have to learn to do it the way we do. Yeah, yeah. so that's the way we got to do it. Yeah. So the, the um, I was just looking at my signals here. Yeah, signals? it looks yeah, good. It's, it's I, very I just, red. Is that a good color? Oh, that's fine. That's okay. it. When it records, it's red. This is... Um, and I should say, just for listeners, I have just had a day that is the epitome of Los Angeles for me. Everything I love and hate about this city is mm. packed into this one day. Um. So I go to Malibu for breakfast with... There's so many interesting people here, you know. So I went to have yeah. breakfast, a late breakfast, with Neil Strauss. We are diversity. Yeah, incarnate. exactly. We are LA. So I'm there with this fascinating guy. We're talking about books. It's wonderful. Some friends of his come over. They decide to order some food. It's late, but everybody says, "Oh no, you're just going down the the PCH. You'll be there in half an hour." Mm, no, never believe that. Oh my God. No. Accidents, construction. So if that I is- sound frazzled. That's why. You are very calm and composed. I've been here in Bonobo. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Enjoying myself, the breezes, the garden. So how did you, what I, I really wanted to get into with you today, because I've, I've been on your show a bunch of times, and I've yeah. seen you, you know, in your uh, element with lots of people around and cameras and everything happening, um, but we haven't spent a lot of time together off camera no. right so i don't how the hell did you become you because you are such a character i mean you are somewhere where, like part elizabeth taylor part dr ruth i mean wh- where are you in the pantheon of <laughs> of characters did you work on that combo? no it just <laughs> came to me came okay. yeah, well i mean because you're you do you do sex therapy right yeah. you've been doing that for a long time couples and and yeah. you since like 1990 right yeah right Mm -hmm. that was like before anyone was doing you know now it seems like it's pretty common lots of people are doing internet therapy and all that but not like me right so what what is it that you tell me the things you do because i know you have these events saturday nights Mm. that are unlike anything else in the world that i've ever experienced yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to know when you say tell you about like me, how you what got to be aspect you aspect of me. Yeah, you are interested in. I well, because you're so very multifaceted. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, we're here among the books, talking about books. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I've always had a great love of books. And you're an uh, intellectual. Yeah, you're very yeah. into sex, uh, mm-hmm. but from a brain, you're very brainy approach. Yeah, kind of a brainy approach, but that is not really why I'm into sex. It's actually because of the physical nature of sex. I am one of those people that says, yeah, sex is between the ears, but really, it's between the legs. And not just between the legs, but all over your body. It is your body. And for me, I I was never that into sports. Right. (laughs) So it's a workout. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Well, and and more than a workout. Workout seems so... It it has the word work. It's more of a play out. Good point. Uh, Very good point. But but I, I do think some people that are into sports maybe get that same kind of zest from from that and I have gotten it from climbing and and mm-hmm. I, I've gotten it from some other things but but sex is 
you know, so convenient. You, I mean, the, the few times that we have hung out just talking, um, I've been very impressed with the uh, acuity of your thinking. And oh, you're I'm impressed with yours too. <laughs> Much more than mine. <laughs> okay, thank no, you. No, but I mean, so I, I think of you as as an intellectual, and um, and so, and maybe this is something that we have in common, which is for me the fascination with sexuality is partly just because you know I experience things through my brain a lot, but that's a problem too. And so one of the appeals of sexuality is that it's one of the only ways I know of to turn my brain off for a while, hmm. you know, yeah. to sort of focus yeah. on something that isn't about how does this work and what, what, what am I thinking that and flow. what's that person thinking? Yeah. Just like get out I'm of your head. Sometimes athletes get into right. flow. Right. And yeah. you said, you mentioned climbing and that's yeah. one of the only, uh, rock climbing is yeah. another place where I felt that. I've felt it through bridge climbing. Oh, bridge climbing? Yeah. Really? Yes, I'm more of a city girl. I have done some trekking, but I never did really learn serious rock climbing. What's bridge climbing? Uh, well, it's climbing bridges. I, I don't do it anymore. Yeah. I, uh, partly because they've closed it off. Uh, my favorite bridges, which are the Bay Bridge and, of course, the Golden Gate Bridge. So you would and climb up on I the have supports? A right there that uh, that shows the me. I'm, I'm taking it from the top of the Golden Gate Bridge. It, it slid down in the frame a little bit. Oh but, wow! Uh, you can see I'm on the the Marin side, and I'm at the top, and I climb up through the ladders, and then you get to the. You know, the apex. And that's completely illegal. The most amazing view in the world. It's a guerrilla operation. (laughs) Yes. I did it with the Suicide Club. But we Uh didn't commit suicide, or or even nobody wanted to. We just did things that some might call suicidal. Really? But we enjoyed it. How long were you involved with them? It's a great aphrodisiac. Yeah. And, you know, if you take a date up the bridge, it's very likely when you come down. Oh, yeah. If and when you come down, you will get late. I was just saying that to a friend yesterday. We were talking about uh, motorcycles. And I had yeah. a motorcycle for years. And I said to him, like, if a woman agreed to take a ride on my motorcycle, I knew it was, a, it, like, that's a done deal. Like, yeah. if she's on, because I'm, I'm good, you know, I, she's not going to get hurt or anything. But that danger and shared danger with someone is an excellent bonding uh, device. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. And, you know, um, people tend to crave security, and we, we have this push-pull between security and a desire for danger, and Danger is sexy, so if you give yourself too much security in relationships especially, then you kind of kill your, your sex life. Yeah. It's sad, but trust kills lust. That's a good line. I wish I'd had that yesterday. I, I was in a documentary interview yesterday, and it was all about, you know, he was saying, like, so how do we keep the spark in yeah. long-term marriage? And I talked about Jack Morin's formula of uh, attraction plus an obstacle equals mm. passion, right? Yeah, And we, we remove the obstacle. Friction. Right, friction, conflict, danger, yeah. you know, distance. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Yeah. And so we, in Spanish, there's, people have heard me say this a million times, but there's a word in Spanish, aislar, which means to insulate and to isolate. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think this is one of the big problems in our culture that we are trying to insulate ourselves and our children and our lovers and everyone from danger, from temptation, yeah. from problems, any sort of surprises and spontaneity. And then we feel isolated and everyone's depressed. Mm-hmm. Well, no wonder, because you've cut yourself off from life. Because you're so goddamn safe, you're not alive anymore. Hasn't that been happening since the agricultural revolution? Yeah, I think so. By the so. way, happy Lamas Day. <laughs> Thank you. La- Wait, so, this is the anti-Lamas Day for me. Why is it called Lamas Day? Tonight's celebration. Well, I don't know a lot about it, but it is the, uh, the harvest holiday. It's some Anglo-Saxon celebration mm. of, you know, kind of getting out in the fields and, and farming. Like a late summer full moon. Yeah, I mean, there is some sex involved because it's a pagan holiday. So, right. you know, you, you have some sex while you're bringing in the sheaves, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> while you're threshing. Yeah. That's a yeah, good word. Threshing. threshing. Yes. Yeah. They, you know, I mean, work is the antithesis of play in some fashions, but in some ways it's it goes together. And, you know, sometimes people that are workaholics need a lot of sex to yeah. balance it out. Yeah, yeah. You just got to release your inner bonobo. That's what you got to do. So do you think your a lot of your life is about removing, uh, uh, what's, what's the best way to say, repression, let's say. Is that accurate? Somewhat. Shame. Dealing with it. Right. Because, you know, shame is an aphrodisiac. It's okay, kind of you anticipated thing. where I was it's going kind of with this. It's kind of a wrong thing. Yeah. Shame, it's kind of a bad thing. Too yeah. much, of course. Right. It's like, um, you know, salsa in your enchilada, if it's just right. A little bit of shame, because we grow up with it, we humans. <laughs> salsa I mean, bonobos in your enchilada. Don't, don't, yeah, but if you have too much <laughs> yeah. salsa, it, it just ruins it. You can't eat your It meat. just sounded really sexy the way you said that. Thank you. There's so much salsa in your enchilada. Well, that's what shame <laughs> and pain and yeah. all those, that negativity, that friction we're talking about. Yeah. I think bonobos do it too, but in a very, I don't know, we have to learn how they do it. But they don't have shame in the same way that we do. Obviously, they're not ashamed of sex. Right. But sometimes they'll hurt each other a little bit, slap each other around. They'll do a little bonobo BDSM. And then, of course, they never kill each other, at least not so far. They are, as we say, mm-hmm. it's a culture that could change, but hopefully we won't change them. Yeah, well, and we've tried, right? I mean, they've been in, in jail, I was going to say, in zoos for a long time, and they still haven't. Yeah. Uh, no one's witnessed right, a murder right. or a rape or infanticide or anything. No. So, so do you think, because sometimes I, f- I feel like, I agree with you that that there is a certain uh, creative power in the conflict and the shame. You know, people talk about makeup sex and yeah. you know and makeup sex. And sometimes having sex with someone you don't particularly feel comfortable with can be even hotter. Mm-hmm. You know, where there's some unresolved conflict or something. So sometimes I wonder if you know all this work that I'm doing and you're doing and other people are doing to resolve these issues for people is also having uh, the unintended consequence of sort of, you know, watering down But I'm not trying to resolve these issues. You're not? No, no. As I said, and you started to say, I try to, you know, cure people of shame, or I don't know, you didn't use the word cure, but yeah. almost was Well, that. people call me a shame exorcist. I know. Yeah, and, and I've that's been... cool. Exorcism... 
you know, you're not totally getting rid of it. I mean, the idea is, if you are abused, you you channel it into something positive. You yeah. you try to make it work for you. You try to yeah channel your messed up problems and issues and fetishes and screwed up childhood and and put it into something consensual that you can share and and understand this stuff. I guess to some degree, you should right. understand how this works. So. You know, maybe you don't give up on a relationship just because it's gotten dull. But you understand that the reason it's gotten dull is because you've made it so safe, because you wanted to. And then if you want to keep the relationship going because, hey, you have kids with this person, you have a mortgage with this person, you love this person, maybe you should do something dangerous instead of just throwing the relationship out. Yeah. Maybe you should put your sex life in a little more danger, like go to a swing party. Oh, I know, they don't call them swing parties. But I like the word swing because it sounds like bonobos. But uh, sex party. What do they call them, sex parties? Yeah, really? I guess. Really? I, well, I like swing party, but I mean, I'm talking about people that are in a couple, but it can right. even happen in a truple. You know, it can happen to anybody because, right. you know, nature doesn't provide for us to feel that in love, new relationship energy. So do you think kinkiness is related directly to the troubled childhood you're talking about and the abuse and all that? If everybody had a happy childhood, their parents loved them unconditionally, everything was great, would kink dissipate and and evaporate from human society? Everything is never great. Everything is, you know, the ideal is the enemy of the real. Yeah. It's not, you know... You've always got to balance things out. If you have the greatest parents in the world, then you're kind of jealous of them because you're not that great. Or I don't know. <laughs> you know, so, you, you, yeah. you're spoiled. Or, or, or people are constantly comparing you to them. Or you're comparing yourself to them. Or I don't know. There's always something. And mm. the idea of releasing your inner bonobo is swinging through the trees of whatever you've got. You know, because... It's tough. Life is, is, is going to be tough for us all, the rich and the poor. I mean, the poor, I guess, have it harder, but are they more unhappy? Funny you should mention that. I just finished writing a chapter in this book um, where I argue that the, the conventional explanation for civilization is that the 1% are ripping off everyone else and, mm. you know, we're all being exploited by the elite, right? Um, but when you actually spend time with the 1%, you see they're just as unhappy as everyone else. So that explanation doesn't hold water because the ones who are winning the game, supposedly, they're not really winning. Well, I'll tell you, it really made sense to me when I read Sex at Dawn. Oh, oh yes. here we go. And, and oh, God. Even God, look at I the notes you, in there. Look, look at, I've kept the old post-its. They're still there. Oh, that's so nice. Okay, and... It says for Dr. Susie, October 2010. It's right after you it came my out. Name wrong, but it's okay because <laughs> you wrote best interview of all time. Oh wow! Can't take that back. Wow, that's nice. I remember that interview. That was over the phone. Well, no, I think this was the second. Interview. Oh, the second one. Okay. But I don't know. Maybe you did give this to me before. Yeah. You, we did it over the phone. The book came out in came July 2010, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure when I came to visit, but or maybe you I remember this. both, yeah. maybe, yeah. Anyway, thank you. So, okay, yeah. so I, uh, it made sense to me, uh, you know, this whole idea that um, before the advent of agriculture, 
Happy Lamas. Bring your bread to church day is uh -huh. another word for it. Uh, you know, people didn't worry about defending their property, which could include lots of land and children and women, you know, and yeah. slaves. Right, and after agriculture. Right. I mean, it's a lot of worry that our, you know, CEOs and other monsters. Yeah. Unless they're Donald Trump, then they don't worry. Yeah, you think Except he doesn't worry? Yeah, he's a happy guy, right? <laughs> you can see how happy he is. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, when there's no property, there's nothing to worry about losing. And, mm. you know, we're talking about extending that same sort of philosophy to relationships, right? The people you love aren't your property. Well, it's got to be a balance in our civilization because we do live in civilization. And much as I want to release our inner bonobo, I'm not a bonobo. And mm. I always have to correct people who say that I advocate people living just like bonobos. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, I, I advocate being inspired by bonobos. Right. And, uh, and then, you know, combining it with civilization. I mean, yeah. I, 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 you got to navigate your way through this life. I mean, unless you go and live in the jungle, I guess. But even then, if you're raised in this society, you're you're taking a big chunk of it with you, yeah. right? Your your mental constructs are never going to be those of a hunter gatherer born and raised in a egalitarian society. I guess not. There's no escape. But they maybe have to do less balancing. So we here in LA and other, you know, human areas, we have to we have to balance our release of our inner bonobo, you know, with the facts of civilization because the ideal is the enemy of the real. And you know, there's a lot of puritans and and nasty people out there that will shoot to kill your inner bonobo just like a poacher in the jungle kills the real bonobos. And by the way, I just want to insert that the real bonobos are highly endangered and anybody who might be listening to this podcast that cares should uh, should help to support uh, Lola Ya Bonobo. Claudine now has a new movie out. Oh, really? And, uh, and um, my friend Sally Cox is the director of Bonobo Conservation Initiative, mm -hmm. which has a peace forest there yeah. in, uh, the in the Congo. Congo. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, Congo. That's a rough, rough history. I've just reread Heart of Darkness recently. Conrad, unbelievable. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. yeah, it's it's terrible what um, humanity has has done to this the second largest rainforest in the world, the the second lung of the world, and uh, you know the bonobos are there. That's their native habitat. That's where I guess. It's close to where humans are from. I, I yeah, well, down the road. Or, yeah, yeah and, and the problem with the jungle is that it doesn't preserve bones. So no one really knows. Ah, right, right, right. Right? It's one, one of the bones things that's overlooked. Like Ethiopia, the right, in the desert, yeah. right? Because they're preserved there. So, so much of archaeology is like that story everyone's heard of the guy looking for his keys under the street light. And the guy says, where'd you lose them? He said, he said well, I, I, left them, or I lost them across the street there. He said, well, why are you here? He says, well, this is where the light is, you know? <laughs> so that's what archaeology yeah. is. You find yeah. stuff where you yeah. find yeah. it. Yeah. And then the oldest thing ever found happens to be in a desert, but that doesn't mean that's where it started. Right, you know? that's just where the bones are preserved yeah. some, to some extent. But 
The jungle does seem like a likely candidate for, you know, being just this teeming source of life and Certainly. perhaps humanity. I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, there's different theories as to the split off and yeah. where that comes from. But bonobos Five to definitely six million years. seem to be because they stay in the jungle for whatever reason. They stayed in the jungle. It's very nice there. It's like a big smorgasbord of paleo dietary <laughs> delights and lots to eat so the females can bond because they can forage together as opposed right. to where the common chimps hang out, where the females forage on their own. And this is one of the key reasons that bonobos are so peaceful is because the females stick together because among common chimps, it's every girl for yourself. So if a common chimp gets raped by a male or gang raped, the other girls will just scatter and say, you're on your own, girl. Yeah. But bonobos, your gal pals have your back because right. they eat with you and because they forage with you and they have sex with you mm -hmm. and they love you. And there's sisterhood without really being sisters. You know, it's like a sexual sisterhood. Right, because bonobos, like chimps and probably humans, are female exogamous. Mm -hmm. Right? So the female leaves her natal group. Yes. Um, but you're right, in bonobos, even though they're not related, they weren't raised in the same group, they enter as young adults. Right. There's an incredible bonding among the females. But among common chimps, they're also female exogamous. They are, too. yeah. And but so they don't have that they bonding. They have a different culture. You yeah. know, it doesn't always lead to the same thing. And yeah. w there, it's like the, the new girl comes in town among common chimps, it's like, you stay away from my territory. But among bonobos, it's like, all right, right. want to do hoka hoka? Okay, want to eat my puss? Yeah. You know, then maybe I'll, you know, introduce you to some of the guys, or right. maybe I'll give you some of the good food, you know, and... Uh, and, they, and they take each other's infants. Oh, yeah. Chimps will never pass an infant to another chimp. They'll well, kill it. It's dangerous. Yeah. 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 yeah bonobos, bonobos are, yeah, the whole babysitting network is something to consider. Of course, you know, they're a little too close to their infants. For humans, we should not be <laughs> imitating them. Okay, that's not what I advocate is imitation. I advocate being inspired. So there's only one sexual interaction that's that doesn't happen among bonobos. And that is mother-son. Right. And... It's not sexual in the sense they don't have sexual intercourse, but they are very affectionate. Yeah. Oh, it's the most important relationship, it according is, to some researcher. Is, which makes us realize that maybe sexual intercourse is not the most important sexual activity. Hmm. Because all these activities are sexual, you know, rubbing, it's all, I mean, I don't know. That's why I always have such an interesting time with the law, like, uh, okay, what is sexual and what is not? Right. But yeah, bonobos don't spend like a huge amount of time on sexual intercourse. They do a lot of rubbing and a lot of what we might call foreplay, I like to use the yeah. term outer course, but they also do a lot of oral sex, a lot of licking and, and um, yeah, they do intercourse, but, and they do a lot of, you know, face to face, of course, yeah. humans. Kissing, holding yeah. hands, yeah. a lot of deep eye Tantra. contact. Right. Yeah. They, they, they're they just, yeah, they're just great. Yeah. yeah. Franz Duval says, I'm sure you know this quote, that uh, chimps use violence to get sex and yeah. bonobos use sex to avoid violence. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Which way but, do you want to go? But they kind of channel their violence into sex. I think that's important to get back to that idea of shame and spice and pain. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's important to remember bonobos are not angels. I mean, I'm the biggest bonobo supporter in the world, 
but they're animals just like us. Mm -hmm. They're apes like us. And, you know, they have some negativity. They have quite a bit. They get they get mad at each other. They they get angry. They get jealous. Sure. They, they have issues. They fight. They they yeah they they bite, but they deal with it. They kind of they deal with it. I think it's great to know that they're not perfect, and neither are mm. we. And and we can learn from them. Right. We got to save them though, because otherwise yeah. we'll lose an important piece of ourselves that we might never get back. And you're right. So much of it is cultural, and and I think you're very smart to, to not fall into the trap of saying, oh, they're an ideal species. They're wonderful. We're not like them. Therefore, it's not relevant. Right. That's that's what people try to maneuver no, you no. into. Yeah, I know. I know. They do. They do. They that that's the hippy dippy stuff. And I am yeah. very hippy, obviously. Yeah. You know. So it's it's a natural. But yet, yeah. I do feel bonobos. You know, they're just. They're just the closest to us, you know. They're, they're, they connect us with nature, with the rest of nature. We separate ourselves so much, as Franz de Waal says. We are often in a state of anthropo denial. Mm, it's it's right. like we deny that we're animals, and bonobos make that very difficult because they look so much like us. I mean, I think I pretty much lived in a state of anthropo denial, more or less. I mean, I liked my cats, and you know, but I, when I saw this uh, PBS special in 1993 called The Nature of Sex, and I, I was a newlywed, and you know, kind of wondering how I would stay excited because all of my other relationships had fallen apart, but you know, what was I going to do? And I, and I was watching this great uh, Nature of Sex series that showed all these wonderful animals fucking elephants and geese and zebras and fruit flies and all of it turned me on you know uh -huh. uh, but of course I was a newlywed so anything turned me on but then <laughs> I saw the bonobos uh -huh. and I went whoa wait a second you know I can separate myself from the zebras and the elephants the elephants are great but these look like me with a lot more hair maybe and the long arms okay and yeah they got these big genitalia but they look like my cousins. They are my cousins. What the fuck is going on? Mm. Can I say that? Yeah, you can say whatever you want. And I was transfixed. I, yeah. I felt like I was looking into a funhouse mirror. Right. And seeing this other side of myself, like a window into this other side that, that, that just grabbed me and brought me into nature and said, you know what? You're an ape. You really are. And then I found out they have a lot of sex. And I went, yeah. And then I found out that, you know, they make peace through pleasure. And I went, whoa, what is going on here? Mm. And then actually weeks later, it wasn't on the PBS special, I found out how female empowered they are. Mm. And I, 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 I don't know, I, I just became a convert. <laughs> so this book's been brewing in you for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Your book actually made me kick my ass. Oh. You know, I, I believe in book spanking. Uh, thank God you got yeah. a hard copy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I've been writing about it and talking about it and doing, you know, bonobo liberation therapy. And then I just thought, you know, i got to write a book uh, called The Bonobo Way. And, and it, it, it's, it's just got to focus on that. Because I, I know there's, there's been quite a few wonderful books about bonobos. Vanessa Wood's book is right. exceptionally wonderful. Uh, the Bonobo Handshake yeah. uh, 
it's about her experience in Africa. Yeah. Um, and of course, Franz de Waal has written incredible books about bonobos. And you wrote some incredible things in your book. Thanks. Uh, about the bonobo connection with humans. You, you kind of took it farther, like I tend to do. You know, Franz mm. took it, was a little step away, and, and yeah. The, Vanessa, but yeah, I mean, hey, it, it was a book whose time had to come. A book written by a sex therapist about how bonobos can inspire us to have a better sex life and maybe even peace on earth, but at least a better sex life. It's, it's amazing that I kind of feel like, you know, there's, it's 150 years since the publication of On the Origin of Species. Yeah. And we're still trying to get used to the idea of thinking of ourselves as animals. Yeah, you know, well, it's, mean, it's incredible. Look at what we've built. We've built so much to keep us from that. Yeah. And so much of it keeps us from our sexuality as well. And, hey, you know, it's... I wouldn't be alive in hunter-gatherer days because I'm nearsighted like you. We're in contact with No, I'm just old. Uh, okay. I used oh, to have farsighted. perfect vision. Ah, yeah. okay, so you might have survived yeah. until now. You know what messed my <laughs> eyes up is writing that damn book. Oh, really? Sitting in front oh, of... The, I mean, it's also the age, you know. I was yeah. in my mid-40s yeah. and it's like... And every day I remember, like, I had to get glasses to see this, to start to read and stuff. And I remember thinking, yeah. We are driven, we humans. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying we have to be just like bonobos. If I was just like a bonobo, I wouldn't have written a book. Bonobos, I don't know, they're too yeah. busy enjoying themselves. Yeah. I like to spend a lot of time enjoying myself. But, you know, I also have this human drive. Have you read Freud's uh, Civilization and its Discontents? Well, long time ago, maybe. No, no, uh, no. But like what you yeah. just said, the, the whole idea of civilization yeah. being, yeah. in some sense, a distraction from thoughts of mortality, maybe, yeah. and certainly blocking erotic energy and redirecting it into... Speaking of your next book. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, you know, the death, big death, the little death. I mean, yeah, we, we, we try to block uh, death and sex for various reasons. Um and uh, and what are you going to do? I mean, sometimes you got to go with it and just enjoy your fetishes that are based on all of that. Do you think that's part of the problem that people have with sexuality, that it reminds them of their animal nature, and as an animal, you're going to die? So it's better to sort of focus on the non-animal spirit part of yourself, which is sort of intrinsically non-erotic in some ways, I guess. Yes, well, I do think that, you know, there is a reason, little death, big death. Yeah. There's a relationship. It puts us so in touch with our basic self, our basic animal nature, that, yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of scary. You, 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 and, and if you have a really good orgasm, you kind of die. If you surrender, you kind of, your ego dies, you know, which is a beautiful thing. We love yeah. that. But well, we say we love it, right? We say we love to get away from our egos, yeah. but how many of us actually do? It's pretty scary. It's both. We do, yeah. because it's always this paradox, and, and that's why, you know, friction is is the way we got to go. We just got to be balanced and try to not to kill ourselves, and, and yet, you know, enjoy the dangers that we can handle. Yeah. And, and I, I mean... 
I, I guess there are all different ways to live, and uh, you know, some people find meaning in, in hate and killing, and, and some find meaning in love and and peace. And I like to be on that side. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I I I'm willing to argue, although I know it puts me in a. a paints me into a corner, but I think human beings are much closer to bonobos by nature than they are to chimps. I say that you say that yeah. in my book. You don't, I don't know enough to, to really be able to say that. I mean, I feel that. I feel closer well, to Well, I mean, just think about the fact that you don't need to teach people um, how to love, mm. right? You don't, you need, need, to, to you don't need to teach That's a child how to love. You, but you do need to teach them how to kill, right? Mm-hmm. And it's and it's a complicated process, and it doesn't work on a lot of them, right? I mean, yeah. You're familiar with the research showing, even in World War II, with Japanese soldiers advancing in ice, you know, within uh, visible to the naked eye, soldiers were still firing above their heads. They couldn't bear to shoot them, even though they're coming right mm-hmm. at them. Um, so they've developed all these techniques and boot camp and training, military training to get people to kill. And now what they're doing is it's all remote control, right? It's another remove because the actual, you know, people say there's this bloodlust. I, I haven't seen it. I think it's a very rare thing in human beings. And it's generally only human beings mm-hmm. who are very damaged, mm-hmm. who have been very, very hurt and distorted. Yeah, Most right. people. I mean, who who gets PTSD from helping a stranger? Right. Nobody. I right? quote you on that. Yeah, that's one. Yeah, of them. yeah, yeah. I agree. That's one of your good lines. I, you know, one of your many. And I, I mean, I have a lot of clients uh, who have been through uh, America's perma wars, uh, who have that kind of PTSD and have to grapple with their sexuality. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's very difficult. And the idea that we we think we can teach these guys and girls to kill and then expect them to come back and not kill. And just be normal. Yeah, forget all that. Yeah. Come on now. That is so, so just uh, wrong. Well, we're we're talking about like sort of ignoring the animal nature of of human beings, which I think is very close to bonobo nature. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah. And our better nature. Which is our better, Which yeah. A lot of, okay, religion and government says we need to be schooled in how to be good. We need hmm. to be controlled and disciplined right. and learn to be good right. because we're not naturally good. We're naturally selfish. That's but what's bonobos, so subversive in bonobos this. Bonobos show we're not so selfish right. naturally. We're actually very nice. We yeah. actually enjoy being nice. Actually, kindness right. is pleasurable. Right. Actually, you get a good feeling from giving to others, maybe even a better feeling than receiving. Yeah. And and that this property business, that really teaches us to be selfish. Yeah. We have to learn that that's ours. We Kids usually want to share. But then they learn, oh, if I share, maybe Johnny's going to take it and I'm never going to see it again. Whereas maybe in our hunter-gatherer life, you know, if you shared, you'd of course you'd see it again because Johnny would be next door and, and, and running around with you, and you right. know you didn't you right. didn't lose things. And you and your entire social organization is structured around sharing. So you see the adult sharing, yeah. you see everybody sharing constantly, and you see anyone who doesn't share is looked down upon, and and you know there's something wrong with them. It's the opposite of the way we're raised. Yeah, yeah, and that's how bonobos are. 
And I do have one little issue with you. Oh, I don't good. even remember if it's in the book, but I saw it on your TED Talk, which I watched mm. as a preparation for this <laughs> auspicious meeting. Uh -huh. And it was a fantastic talk. I mean, just so ah, brilliant. But you say a little bit that bonobos um, and perhaps our hunter-gatherer ancestors uh, would always know each other when they'd have sex. And... That, that intimacy was is an important part of it, and that yes, we're promiscuous and bonobos are promiscuous, but that intimacy is is almost always an important part. But studies have shown that bonobos actually like to have sex with strangers. Yeah, most and, primates do. And yeah. and that if you know all things being equal, they'd rather have sex with the stranger. There and is share that allure. Food yeah. And and you know get to the friend later. That's just some bullshit I put out there for Ted. To make the I thought maybe you were trying to make these people no. feel good about bonobos and their promiscuity. Well, what I was trying to do was was make the point that our what we think of around the word promiscuous is not the experience that I'm describing here of our mm -hmm. hunter-gatherer ancestors. And right? I love how you point out that all it means is mixed. Right. You know. Yeah. And they do mix, and most of their sex partners are friends. Right. And. You know, there aren't a lot of strangers in know, prehistoric society. Right, that's an, a pretty alluring thing. And they're thing. nice, you yeah. know. And they usually are nice. Right. Because, yeah. Know, I, mean, I mean, bonobos, they're usually nice and among humans. And humans do like strangers. We do. Well, we like novelty. We right, do. and I think that's that's an essential component of intelligence. Right, we like different kinds of food. We travel. Everybody, you don't have to be yeah. intelligent. No, but I mean intelligent animals. Right, like I don't know if cockroaches are really into novelty, well, but intelligent species are into novelty because I it bet exercises. Are into novelty because I think it keeps the gene pool fresh. I think novelty keeps you from you know incest. Uh, you so do you think if a go out there and yeah. mate with other cockroaches, right. so that you can have? I don't know. It seems procreatively smart, and at the same time, it's. Um, I'm listening because, of course, we're in my office where I have a. There's beeping. A, a beeping. And, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I'm <laughs> no, so sorry, right. but as long as we've made a little stop, can I get a glass of water here? Sure. Um, yeah. Mm. Oh, there's the water. Oh, grapes. And grapes. Oh. Mm, feed me a grape. Uh, how do we? Uh, Thank you. Uh, yes. Mm. Uh -huh. Okay. Mm. Yummy. Mm, but I need the water. Mm. Here, you can have this. Oh, there's there's more there. Yeah. Thank you. So where was I? I got distracted by um, sensuality. Mm. There you are. Thank you. I'm good. Thanks. Thanks. Well, I see you've got one river by Wade Davis up there. Okay. That is yes. a great book. Yes. I really like And Alex Haley Roots. I was in an elevator with Alex Haley the last night of the original airing oh, of Roots. Wow, really? Yeah, it was crazy. I was with the my dad. airing. Which was what, 1976, 7, something like that? I didn't know you were that old. I'm that old, yeah. I was a kid, but oh, okay. um, yeah. I was with my dad in New York. Um, the young people listening to this won't know, but Roots was a miniseries. I think it was the yes. first miniseries. And it showed like four nights in a week, and it was like three or four hours each night. And it was a national event. It was a huge deal. 
And the last night, I was in New York with my dad. We were staying at the Waldorf Astoria. He worked in the city, and, and uh, I don't, he was in the city for work, and he had this really nice room in this great hotel. And uh, we were going downstairs to eat in the restaurant downstairs, and I was watching, you know, I said I wanted to watch the rest of Root. So he said, okay, when it's done, just get in the elevator and come down. I'll be whatever. And I went in the elevator. I finished watching it, and there was it ended with this short interview with Alex Haley. And then I w- left my room. I went and pushed the button. The elevator door opened, and there was Alex Haley. <gasps> and he was staying in the hotel, and he was going down to do press conference or something. Lucky. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's Did pretty you cool. Did talk to him? No, no. No? You were just dumbfounded? Yeah, I was, you know, how old was I? I was 12, you know, whatever. But mm. I, it was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And he had some people with him, and they were all talking and preparing and, you know. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I tend, I, I mean, at that age, I wasn't really thinking about it. But even now, I, I, I'm not a big, you know, excuse me, Mr. Clooney, you know, pay attention to me. I, in fact, I, people have heard me tell this story. I kind of freaked out a little bit when I met Peter Gabriel um, at TED. He played with bonobos. I know, yeah. Uh, and Well, see, Peter Gabriel's like the one famous person who I admire more than anyone. Yeah. And I ended up sitting next to him for about half an hour chatting. Nice. But I played it, you know, I sort of assume famous people don't get enough sort of just normal conversation, right? So I just played it like, hey, oh, Pete, yeah, how you doing? I'm Chris and blah, blah, blah. And um, but looking back on it, I realized that I was actually insincere because that's one case where I should have said, my God, your work is just, you know, changing my life. I really should have said that, you know, because that would have been sincere. So I was like faking. And he probably would have liked it. Yeah, well, yeah, I think I he has think the right to expect stop it. I liking that. Just because they're super fan. I mean, yeah, they don't like it when you come up to them in a supermarket. Yeah, you know, yeah. shop for a right. nice cut of beef. Yeah, or, but, or you know, toilet paper. They're just sitting there. I think they, that people, people need acceptance always. I mean... Bonobos love acceptance. They can never get enough. Yeah. You know, you need a constant supply. And since in our society we're not allowed to just, you know, if you were a bonobo, you could just hug him. You wouldn't have to figure out the right words. Right. You could just right. give him a hug. Or as Vanessa coined the term, the bonobo handshake. <laughs> that yeah. would have shocked him. Well, yeah. Hey, let me give you a little hand job here, Pete. But it might bring peace on earth. Yeah, a little sword you know? fighting. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. The sword fighting is 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 almost is is more difficult for humans to grasp in a way than the uh, lesbian action of yeah. bonobos. It seems to be. Do you think that's you think that's innate that women are just more comfortable with changing in different situations, or do you think that's a cultural overlay? Oh, I think it's cultural. I do. I I think um, I think women are more comfortable with talking about things <laughs> you know and guys are more comfortable with looking at things mm-hmm. and seeing things women get like oh I don't want to see that but mm. I'll talk about it uh, but that's making the Mars Venus thing and yeah. I've always said men are not from Mars women are not from Venus we're all from planet Earth and as you say we're from Africa right. and uh, you know the, but our feminine side is is you know more talkative our masculine side is compartmentalized and um, and you know to be a man 
you're supposed to compartmentalize. Of course, that is changing, which is why it, it is difficult to be a heterosexual man. It's not even, it's like an endangered species. Yeah, so what do you think about what's happening in American society right now around sexuality? There's so much going on. There are all these cross currents and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, the acceptance of same-sex marriage and, and the legitimacy of same-sex relationships is a wonderful thing. Yeah, um, I love marriage. I've I'm been sure. married 23 years. Mm-hmm. I don't see why you can't marry someone of the same sex or marry two people or... You know, my friend, uh, Dr. Serena Gaia Andrelini, married the beach. I'm okay with that. Uh, you know, marriage is such a personal thing. It's almost like a religious thing. It's a sexual thing. It's a f- sexual fetish. This is my symbol of bondage. Mm. I am pointing to my wedding ring right now. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a thing that some people do, and, and some people love it. And, yeah, it's acceptable in our society, and it makes certain things easier uh, certain yeah, acceptability visitation yeah. rights mm, and yes, property and all yes, that, all yeah. of those things, and acceptance, uh, and it also makes certain things more difficult. Like then you have to decide: am I monogamous or monogamish? As yeah. Dan Savage would say, uh, you know, there's lots of choices, and I think that society is becoming more bonoboesque. I, I think, I think there's a backlash too. And, you know, as we know from history, sometimes the backlash gets so strong, we're, like, thrust back into, like, a Reformation or a Dark Ages or something yeah. that takes us, you know, a couple steps backwards in our so-called um, progress. Of course, as you say, evolution isn't always progress, and yeah. even cultural evolution. But it does seem with the Supreme Court, you know, saying, hey, anybody can get married, at least same sex can get married, um, and, uh, you know, uh, I mean, we've got uh, a lot of transgender people being very, very open. Um, yeah. Uh, some more famous than others, but lots of them coming out and expressing themselves, male to female, female to male. It's, it's just we're opening up to our diversity. Do you think there's an animosity toward um, heterosexual men in this environment? I love heterosexual men, and I'm in this environment. But, you know, I guess, yeah, I guess there is. I was talking to a friend. I I, I guess, you know, for some people. Yeah. I was talking to a friend uh, who has an editor at Playboy. They were talking Mm -hmm. about something, doing an article or something. And apparently Playboy is being retooled. Um, Again? Yeah. And, (laughs) And the editor said... We want to make Playboy um, less sexist. And my friend was saying, well, isn't that their brand? Not sexist in the sense of misogynistic, mm. but sexist in the sense of straight male, you know, un- uh, sort of unapologetically straight male. Um, and it seems like in America right now, my impression is that it's hard to be unapologetically straight male. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think uh, it is, and so Playboy uh, probably is wise to, to change a bit. And you think so? Yeah. You don't think they're they're sort of undermining their own well, brand? First of all, they've always liked watching two girls together. So. That's true. I mean, and and a, a, a lot of so-called straight guys are getting in touch with the fact that they like having their pee spot massaged, 
and uh, maybe they even have some level of bisexuality. Mm. And maybe, you know, they don't express it with the same abandon as the women do, and it, it is a dicier thing for various reasons, because penetration is more likely. Right. Penetration of body parts, body fluid exchange is more likely. There are some physical reasons to be a little more guarded about it, I guess. And yet, and yet, I have to say, there's a, a lot of exploration of of that and you know um, it's at least on a sapiosexual level and at least on an acceptance level and certainly being able to accept it is very important and should help to uh, curtail homophobic crime mm. because most homophobic crime is about repressing a homoerotic feeling right. so if you can kind of accept your homoerotic feeling and go you know that's normal I can feel that and I don't have to act on it I, right. I can you know, talk to people about it or, or play act it or go with a girl with a strap on or not do it at all or, you know, whatever my solution is, but I don't have to be afraid of it and, and, and try to kill the person that inspired it. That, I think, is so, that's so important, what you, what you just described. That dynamic is so important in so many parts of life, not only sexual life, you know, racism and, you know, what, what is... The racist. The racist mm. is someone who feels threatened by the other race in a way that often is an eroticization of the oh, other yeah. race. You know, white people classically eroticize black people. Yeah. Um, and you know, I even and you don't have to comment on this um, if it feels dangerous or whatever. But mm. I th I think that there's um, you know there, there's research showing that um, pedophilia is a sexual orientation. And I think we, as a society, we make a huge mistake in saying that's so bad that we can't even talk about it. Mm -hmm. You can't talk to your therapist about these feelings, even if your intention is to not, never act on those feelings no. and to seek help in never acting on, on those feelings. And we make it illegal to even have these fantasies. You know, like a guy's in prison for having written in his journal about mm -hmm. desire to have sex with kids. And that is illegal. Well, that's just wrong. Yeah. I mean, you can't... You you're can't right that that is abolished kind of a dangerous thoughts. thing for me to talk about as a therapist. Right. But at sure. the same time, I'm a different kind of therapist. And I do uh, think that, first of all, pedophilia is very different than child molesting. Right. Child molesting is not always done by pedophiles. Right. Sometimes it's done by just horny assholes who just have the opportunity. Yeah. And pedophilia is something just could be a fantasy that isn't acted on. Right. And But it uh, gains power by being prohibited. Yes. Right? Yes. Like the homophobes who beat up homosexuals because there's something within them that they exteriorize and then attack, you know? Well, well, it's one reason I, I really support things like adult age play, being mm. able to express mm. your very taboo desires through some sort of outlet. Right. Uh, and having, it, it's not a perfect solution. There is no perfect solution. You're going to be tortured by it because it is so unacceptable yeah. if you have those feelings. And what I tell my clients is just accept the torture. It's part of the thing that keeps you from doing it. And respect yourself that you torture yourself so that you you don't do it yeah. and, and you won't do it. But 
let's come up with an outlet for you. Maybe it's just talking to me about it, right. or maybe it's play, doing age, age play games. Right. And maybe, but don't write it, you know, I have to caution them. Yeah, don't write about it. Yeah. And that's kind of sad because it, it, it's a stifling of artistic expression, but honestly, I do caution any client or anybody not to write about that. It's so weird, though, because you could write about I mean, there are novels. What was that novel by the guy who did Bright Lights, Big City? Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, you remember that? There was that novel where it's all about killing people and dismembering them. Like and yeah, you can write about horror, that. You know, yeah. you'll get a movie deal. I know, I know. It's, yeah. it's terrible. It's, it's, it's the strange. whole thing of, you know, Hollywood accepts a breast being chopped off, uh, but not just a breast being shown and right. kissed or just shown. Uh, yeah. So it's uh, it's totally hypocritical, and it, it is part of the the war on sexuality, and and it's changing. I think you know I don't know. There's there's a pendulum that swings back and forth, and there's a total backlash. But I I do believe we are uh, going in a more bonoboesque direction. I, I guess um, you know maybe maybe from the years of perma war with a uh, with Bush to Obama's feels a little more. Like we're at least trying to apologize for it, whereas before we were unapologetic. Yeah. Uh, but still, we spend so much more. I mean, we we could just feed so many people and and help so many people and subsidize people for sex therapy as well, uh, if, with the huge amount right. we spend on prisons, bombs yeah. and prisons, yeah. the the military industrial complex and the prison industrial complex. Yeah. Now, speaking of complexes. I just wanted to say, here in Bonoboville, we, we do try to have a... I mean, it's not a sex commune by any means, but uh, it is kind of um, a socialist, capitalist, uh, you know, collective of mm -hmm. artists and uh, therapists oh, and technologists. You have a community. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I, I like to take pictures of people while we're in the podcast. So okay. uh, I, I like, if it's okay, I'm going to take a picture of you. Let me get. And let me make sure you can see. Yeah, sure. and the grapes. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I am now taking a picture of Dr. Susie. Thank you. All right, that'll go up on the website. So this I ripped sex. You're and ripped. Shirt. Yeah. Mm. Wow. That's that's the best. Um, Iteration of that shirt I've ever seen, for sure. Really? Can you put that in writing like you put the inscription? <laughs> yeah. Best interview of all time. You're, are you so enthusiastic with all the interviews? And all uh, no, I remember. I, I remember our first interview on the phone because I was in Spain, mm -hmm. and the book had only been out a couple of months, and I yeah. was very green and didn't really hadn't you know gotten to be the jaded old saw that I am right. now, and. Um, you called for, we'd set it up by email, and then you called, and it, it was like 7 in the morning or something in Spain. I got up early to do the interview, and I am not a morning person. Oh. So I drank a bunch of coffee, and I was like, okay, I've got to be on. This is, you know, i got to get my thoughts clear and wake up. And I answered the phone, and there was this sexy, languid woman's voice on the other end, and I thought, what? Wake up this, to sex at dawn. I could have stayed in bed. This is, mm -hmm. <laughs> this yeah. is, I'm in the wrong frame of mind. Mm -hmm. So I had to like sort of dial it way down. Mm -hmm. and I have my interview style, which yeah. does vary. It was nice. And, uh, you know, I mean, that was a very intimate interview. I, I, I felt you deserved it. I rarely do that. Uh -huh. I usually just throw my authors in with a bunch of porn stars, as you know. <laughs> I've been I thrown in with a 
interview it. your porn yeah, stars. Yeah, I love yeah. to do that. I love to mix it up with the intellectuals and the physicals and, you know. Yeah, well, I often tell people the last, I, I, there's something that happened last time I was on your show that is incredibly memorable. I was talking to you, you were interviewing me, and we're talking about bonobos, mm-hmm. and there are cameras everywhere and microphones and stuff. And while you and I are talking, right in front of me is this sword swallower swallowing swords while he's getting a, a blow, blow job. job. Yeah. Right, that was Murugan the Mystic. <laughs> Yes, yeah. Well, you know, sometimes we call it a circus. <laughs> it, was, it was a circus it atmosphere. Can be, it can be. But I felt your book really, you know, deserved just focused, normal style interview. Oh. And that's what I gave you. And I was you so did. excited about it. Just to, because like I said, I'd read other books about bonobos, like Franz de Waal's book. And I had just read Vanessa's book. In fact, mm. I, I think I had just had Vanessa on. I met mm. you through, well, met, I connected with your book through Vanessa, Mm. and when I saw what you had to say about bonobos, that's when I went, oh, God, get off your ass, girl, you got to write your own book, but Mm. I also felt, yes, it it makes sense, bonobos can inspire us, bonobos are so close to us, and maybe even closer than common chimps, like this guy says, And, uh, and then all that stuff about, you know, Eden, I mean, we weren't kicked out of a garden we were basically we kicked ourselves into a garden with agriculture yeah it just made so, so much sense and yeah. i i just well thank you you've yeah. you've been really generous to me over the years i know uh, pushing the book you owe me i owe you yeah, yeah yeah definitely so uh ladies and gentlemen in the audience uh if you want to help me repay my debt to susan block yeah. and also read a great book Go pick up The Bonobo Way. It's available at your website, I'm sure, bonoboville.com. Yes, that's our social media site. Uh The website for the book is thebonoboway.com, The Bonobo Way. And you can just go on Amazon. It's on Amazon as well. Yeah, yeah. I got a lot of websites. Is that you on the cover? That is me and Lana. Lana is uh, a bonobo who I've gotten very close to. Ah. Uh, Yes, uh, she... And I have had um, an, uh, a, a pie, a profound interspecies experience. Um, and it's not bestiality, exactly, because there was a glass between us. Were you GG rubbing through the glass? Yes, no nice. GG rubbing, but really more kissing. Mm. Just very, very intense. Um, she just opened up this tongue kissing that I... Wow. I'm sure I wouldn't have done it if there wasn't a glass between us. <laughs> I don't think yeah, I well, You might not have had a choice. All over me. Yeah, I know, I guess. Do you know, friends have all told me a story about, uh, you know, he worked with bonobos for years when he was young, and he went back to Holland and visited the, the enclosure where the bonobos were held, and a lot of them remembered him from 15, 20 years earlier, you know. Mm-hmm. And there was one female in particular that he really loved, had a very close relationship with. And he went up, and there were bars, you know, like a cage kind yeah. of situation. Oh, and nice. Yeah, and so she, she, could get she reached yeah. around and touched his face. Oh. And he was touching her face. And then she quickly grabbed him by the back of the head and pulled him and stuck her tongue in his mouth. And he said, like, you know, bonobos are so strong, like, you know, he wouldn't try to escape. um, So he just sort of 
had bonobo tongue for yeah. a little while there. You know, yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, and in my case, it, it was a glass, but it yeah. it was a, a recognition because I hadn't met her before, mm. and I had uh, actually a French film crew with me, so ah. I, it was fortuitous in a way. But it started out as really frustrating because they were there to film me, you know, kind of showing the bonobos having sex and. Of course, they have sex when they want, and I've usually been very lucky, and they've had sex in front of me, but it was about as hot as it is now, and mm. it was really hot. Plus, uh, that day, this uh, the, the keeper had said that she had separated the females because they were bonding too much, which I think is keeper talk hmm. for having sex, doing hoka-hoka, and that they were ganging up on the males. You know, there was uh, I didn't want to get in their face about how they're yeah. dealing with the, the bonobos, but it sounded like they were keeping them away. So the bonobos were just very listless and just lying there and not having sex. And and these French filmmakers were just so impatient. And I'm just like there at the glass. And suddenly Lana comes running up to the glass. And uh, I had met her before. And I met her several times. And this time she had a little baby. And she showed mm. me the baby. And she just kind of held on to the baby and just did this and then I put my hand up here and then she put her foot up to the glass uh -huh. and then I put my foot up and then and then that's when actually she started the tongue and started to kiss me and then her girlfriends come running up and screaming they were jealous they were angry and she shooed them away she said well first she calmed them down and she said it's okay and then they kind of grumbled off and uh, and and then she went back to the the kissing for you know as long as we wanted and and that was it. It was my profound interspecies wow. experience. Congratulations. Yeah, and then her baby came up. The other baby, who's three years old, and did handstands for me and did hoka hoka. Mm. So they do this in the zoo sometimes. They yeah. they they are the most pornographic exhibit in the San Diego Zoo. Was, was this at San time. Diego? Yeah. This is San Diego, which yeah. I believe Franz de Waal has gone to San Diego Zoo. Yeah. He's been to different zoos, but yeah. that's where I've had my experiences yeah. watching bonobos. Uh, yeah, me too. Is, is in the San Diego Zoo. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a nice zoo. It's uh, if as, zoos as go. zoo goes. They are exactly. prisons, yeah. but if you're yeah. going to be in a prison, I have mixed feelings about it. I wouldn't be able to see them if not so yeah. but of course it is a prison so. yeah uh and yeah they, but it's a much better prison than the ones we put humans in yeah you know you think yeah. about it like think about the enclosure for the bonobos in san diego versus the supermax prison sure. yeah. i think some zoos no no i'm talking about yeah. san diego san diego is pretty good it's a it's a thing i'm, I'm using in this book right because like getting back to a point you made earlier there is no going back. We're not going to be bonobos. We're not going to be hunter-gatherers. We are what we are. The world is artificial. We've passed many points of no return in that respect. Um, and so the the sort of uh, line I use in the book is, we we are going to live in a zoo, but do you want it to be the San Diego Zoo or the Calcutta Zoo? Um, right? That's the choice we need right. to make here. Right? right. So either we design our world to reflect our innate predispositions or we allow the world to uh, deny our innate predispositions by just throwing us in cubicles and cages. So mm -hmm. I think that's the revolution that we're on the verge of now, hopefully. 
we have to release our inner bonobo some way or another, I think. I mean, I just think, you know, it's about getting in touch with your animal side. And it's about, you know, some people, they're, they're afraid of their animal side, maybe because of the common chimps, maybe because of the killer ape uh, paradigm that most of us have grown up with. And, you know, it's, it's scary to think of releasing that. I mean, I grew up with King Kong as a kid, and mm. I loved King Kong. That's and an I interesting image. And I identified with yeah. King Kong. Right. I did. I really loved He's King a very Kong. sympathetic character. And I love Fay Ray. He's a very sympathetic character, and he ca- has tantrums just like little kids do. Yeah. And you learn, you know, I don't want to release that. I mean, that's bad. And it is. I mean, although King Kong is nowhere near as bad as the humans, but still, you don't want to be King Kong and just lose control but of your violence. But you want to release your good side. And bonobos, yeah, it helps you with your sex life. Yeah, it helps you with understanding where goodness comes from. We're being what I call an ethical hedonist or you know, they call it the ethical slut Mm -hmm. also, with, you know, being good and being sexual. How do you do that? And is that something that's so artificial that the hippies come up with? No, it's something that the bonobos come up with. Right. Something that's innate within our animal nature, that goodness. Right, and the and the evil connotations for sexuality, for animal, and so on and so forth. That's all this neo Hobbesian bullshit that is, as you mentioned earlier, sort of designed to make us believe that we need these power structures to protect us from ourselves. Yeah, because they want to protect their stuff. Yeah, you know, and yeah, the whole idea of p- pleasure is the root of all evil. It's the root of all good, mm. really. If we didn't have pleasure, we wouldn't be good. Right. You know, uh, right. and a lot of the evil is being done by people who haven't had enough pleasure, especially yeah. in their childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they only know evil. So, yeah. you know, that that's a problem. Got to give them some pleasure. I, yeah. I think that's that's where it's at. And that's and the bonobos help us with that, you know, because they are like ambassadors to um, to another side. Uh, to to nature, you know, because maybe it is difficult to identify with, like, uh, a salamander or an elephant. But the bonobos look like us, the musculature, yeah. the, the, the way Kanzi can communicate with mm-hmm. us via computer. Uh, there, there's just this closeness. I mean, people say, hey, I hope there's some form of life outside of Earth that's like us, that we can talk to. Wouldn't it be nice to talk to aliens? Well, we got them right here. We can talk to bonobos. We can communicate with them. And that's a little controversial, too. The, the primate centers where they, they teach bonobos uh, human language. Yeah. But, but it just shows how, how close we are, how, yeah. how we're just part of this, this great seething uh, sexual planet. And we've got to save our... As many endangered species as possible, of course, including ourselves, you know, but I think we really have to save the bonobos. You know, there's not very many of them. Yeah. And they have a lot to teach us before they go. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So. Hey, thank you for doing this. My pleasure. It's been a joy. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it again. Okay. Well, I'm going to see you tonight. Exactly. All right. (laughs) We'll do it again in a few hours.
I hope you enjoyed that conversation and appreciate your support for the podcast, especially those of you who do it through fundwhatyoulove.com, where you can set it up to take a buck, five bucks, ten bucks, whatever you can afford, whatever you feel motivated to throw at the podcast every month. Uh, you don't have to think about it. It's an ongoing thing. You can cancel at any time, of course. That's fundwhatyoulove.com. That's run by Danny Osman, who also does the sound engineering for the show. You can find him at emeraldcitypro.com if you have any engineering, sound engineering needs. He's great. I vouch for him, of course. He's been doing the sound engineering for this podcast for over a year now, completely voluntarily. Uh, he's a cool guy. So if you have any business you want to throw his way, please do. Thanks to Basin and Range for the opening music. You can find them at basinandrangeband.com. Uh, there's a Reddit tangentially speaking discussion group. If you want to talk about episodes, throw a question at me, get a conversation started at Reddit. Just do a search for tangentially speaking, all one word. And, of course, thanks to Bennett at Shore Design T-Shirts, another guy who's been supporting this podcast from the very beginning when I had about 15 listeners. He was there. He's still there. And uh, I love him. Never met the guy, but I love him. And I sure as hell love his shirts. So you can get his shirts at shoredesigntshirts.com. And, of course, all the shirts that are at chrisryanphd.com are made by Shore Design T-Shirts in Thailand and packaged and shipped to you by my mom, Julie. Uh, say hi to Julie if you order anything. She loves it when that happens. And of course, last but not least, thanks to Carsey Blanton for the song you're about to hear, Smoke Alarm, which reminds you to carpe fucking diem because you're going to die one day. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say.
Dancing to the ground.